The Interchange is brought to you by AES Energy Storage, a pioneering and world-leading storage developer and now energy storage solution provider. We are entering a new era, the electrification of everything, and the grid needs to catch up. That means making it into a more distributed, flexible, and cleaner network. AES Energy Storage is helping unlock the true power of the electricity system with Advanceon. Advanceon is a battery-based energy storage platform that helps utilities modernize their power systems rapidly and at a much lower cost than traditional infrastructure. AES brings 30 years of power sector experience to the storage industry, delivering the most reliable, safest, and best-performing storage solutions. Advanceon can handle any application, and it's always instantly available, without the need to burn fuel or invest in expensive peaking generation or other infrastructure to meet flexibility or reliability needs. It's time to unlock the full potential of the electric power system. That means building a new energy network, transforming the grid with energy storage, accelerating renewables, and electrifying everything. That is the vision and mission of AES Energy Storage. Learn more about AES's offerings by visiting aesenergystorage.com interchange. That's aesenergystorage.com slash interchange. This is The Interchange, conversations about the global energy transformation from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, the editor-in-chief of GTM, joined, as always, by Shale Khan, who's our senior VP and head of GTM Research. Hello, Shale. Good Monday morning to you. Good Monday morning to you, Stephen. It's been nearly three years since New York launched one of the most ambitious reform efforts in the history of electricity. It is called Reforming the Energy Vision. And we're now a few years on since that vision was first articulated in New York. So it's a good time for us to ask, what has Rev accomplished so far? Is the state any closer to redesigning the electricity market than it was three years ago? And this week... You and I talked to Lisa Francis, who's the Senior Vice President of Advanced Energy Economy and who's been knee-deep in the acronyms and buzzwords there in New York, and she's going to guide us through REV. Um, I enjoyed this conversation quite a bit because I, like many others, have been eyeing REV from a 30,000-foot view. We have reporters who cover this stuff in in greater detail, but uh, it's just helpful for me to kind of understand all the details because it is an extraordinarily complex undertaking. So, Shale, for for you, what what should listeners take away from this conversation? Well, I think to your question, is New York any closer to reinventing electricity? The answer is definitely yes. It's closer than it was three years ago when Rev was kicked off. But, you know, the real sort of the status of Rev today is one where, depending on your frame of reference, it's it's either really frustrating um, how slow progress is going and how many roadblocks are emerging, or it's really exciting and, you know, we never should have expected this to go as rapidly as it, it has in the first place. So I think it's interesting to just talk about the pace of progress, which we did a fair bit with Lisa, and try to take a step back and understand how massive the transformation New York is trying to undergo really is, and thus set our expectations accordingly. So my takeaways from this interview is that, um, you know, three years feels like a long time, but it actually isn't that long when you consider the scope of what New York's trying to do. And as I talk to folks who are connected to the process, 
many of whom have their own pet issues among this broader package of reforms. I hear conflicting takes and a decent amount of frustration. So I think you'll hear Lisa provide a more positive take on the overall process. And I'm actually curious to hear from listeners who are following Rev if you agree with her on her progress report. And you can tweet at us. Um, Both Shale and I are on Twitter and love to hear from you. And we'd love to bat around some responses to this show. Well, before we talk to Lisa Francis, let's let's talk about what's on our reading list. Shale, what are you? What kind of pages are you flipping through these days? Well, ever since our conversation with Jesse Jenkins a few weeks ago, and even before that a little bit, I've been on sort of a deep decarbonization reading kick. So, in continuation of that, uh, the one that I'm currently pouring through is the so the German government is uh, hosting the G20, I think this year. And, and ahead of that, they asked uh, the IEA, the International Energy Agency and IRENA, the International Renewable Energy Agency, uh, to put together a report that basically models out what would it take uh, from a global standpoint, in order for us to have an energy transformation that is rapid enough that we have at least a 66% chance of hitting the Paris Agreement's two degrees Celsius climate change target. So just as a reminder, the, the Paris Agreement has that target within it, but then there's a bunch of individual commitments that all the countries that agreed to it made, and those commitments in aggregate do not get us to two degrees Celsius. So the question is, what would it actually take to get us to two degrees Celsius? And the report is terrifying, mostly, because uh, it makes you realize how much further we would need to go and how fast it would have to happen. But within well, that, this is you basically have to double decarbonization rates every decade, right? Yeah, but you know, this goes real detailed into exactly what would have to happen in each sector, how you have to decarbonize, you know, power, but also how you have to decarbonize transportation and industry and all the major sources in the energy sector of emissions. And there's lots in it. It's like a 200-page report, but the one that caught my eye early on, which is something that I'm realizing we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about with Jesse, so I wanted to mention it here, is um how much we'd have to ramp up investments in efficiency. Uh, so in the, the IEA's modeling, as an example, they, in 2015, globally, we spent something like $250 billion on efficiency. And that's not just in the power sector, right? This is, a, you know, industrial process efficiency. This includes things like, you know, cafe standard type efficiency in transportation. So just energy efficiency more generally. So we spent about $250 billion last year by the the end of the first half of the century, the 2041 to 2050, we'd have to be spending about $1.5 trillion a year on efficiency. So that's something, you know, there's a lot to say about deep decarbonization that requires um, investment in new technologies and all the things that we talked about with Jesse, but let's not forget about efficiency because that's its core to any of these scenarios. Agreed. Speaking of monumental tasks, let's turn our attention to New York's reformation effort now and listen to our interview with Lisa Francis, the senior VP at Advanced Energy Economy. We'll hear a little bit more about how things have been going over the last three years and talk about some specific tracks that are particularly important to the process and then look at some states that may or may not be following in the footsteps of REV but are certainly thinking about their own reformation plans as well. 
Well, you know, I think people get so caught in the weeds, they don't stand back and say, okay, what's changed from three years ago? And I think in my perspective, um, some of the main changes have been the, the utility's role and the rules under which they operate. And I think there's five key things, frankly, that I'd probably like to highlight. You know, one is, is now the utility is a facilitator of the, the DER market. And by, by the way, distributed energy resources, when I say DER, I'm, I'm including in that energy efficiency, demand response, storage, fuel cells, combined heat and power, renewables, storage. So it's quite a broad array of technologies. Um, so the utilities will continue to own, operate, and maintain the electric distribution system, like the poles, the wires, and the transformers that deliver electricity to homes and businesses as sort of a core function. But now they're taking on this role as facilitating this DER market, which is new. The other thing is really the earnings opportunities now are shifting more toward performance and outputs. Um, so now the utilities can earn revenue, you know, through their traditional cost of service revenue, but also it's really going to be moving much more toward outcome-based performance incentives that are tied to, you know, specific state policy goals, tied to facilitating uh, customer demand and customer-driven markets and savings achieved using DER solutions for grid needs. So to me, that's a big deal because I think so much the utility has been focusing on inputs, you know, let's put more capital assets in the ground and we'll get our regulated rate of return. But now it's saying, look, we're going to look at what kind of performance outcomes you're achieving and let's reward those. The third thing is probably a change in the way utilities plan. and. You know, right now um, they've got something called DSIPs or the Distributed System Implementation Plans. And this is basically a five-year planning roadmap for modernizing the grid and meeting the state energy goals. And it's one of the things that they've required is that it really be a collaborative process that has to be part of the core piece of that. And I think one of the things that's starting to come out of that, it's not quite where everybody wants it to be, is you know, unprecedented levels of access to system data and also customer level data by the utilities and making that available. And I think the goal is to get location specific information on the grid needs. And so we could talk about that later because I know access to data is a big deal, but I do think we have made changes in the right direction there. Um, the fourth thing is how the utilities do investments. You know, now they have something called the BCA handbook. It's really just a benefit cost analysis that they have to go through when they make investments. And cost of carbon is now a factor in there. It's not an externality. So that's also a change. And then finally, um, I think demonstrations. The way the uh, utilities uh, have been asked to do demonstration now by the commission is a way that almost institutionalizes innovation. These, dem these demonstration programs, they're not just about technologies. Actually, in fact, they're supposed to be much more about business models and testing some of the business model changes that are out there and also focusing on partnerships. So I think, you know, to me, th those are big changes in the way that utilities have traditionally operated and where they're operating now. You know, this is the order that took place in 2016. And so um, a lot of this is starting to move forward. You know, they're not, they're significant changes and they'll take time for impact, but I think they're significant. So 
two points here. One, I think just to your point about including the social cost of carbon within those calculations, it's a timely thing to note, given that President Trump is signing an executive order right. today, removing <laughs> the social cost of carbon calculation from anything that the federal government does. So good on New York for adding it in. Um, but what you're laying out are the ways in which the revision is getting some specifics added to it. And that's what's been happening over the past couple of years. But I think it probably would be a stretch to say that almost anything that you mentioned is active today, right? Like the, the you know, DSIPs are, we just got a DSIP order two weeks ago or something like that that was 36 pages long, doesn't have a lot of detail. The utility business model question, there was a good order that said, here are the ways that utilities can can have earnings opportunities in this new world, but it didn't have any numbers in it. It just had the 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 ideas. So, I mean, I think the frustration that some people feel, and, and maybe this is sort of a, a crisis of ex- setting the wrong expectations, but some people's frustration is, look, we can issue dozens of orders and and paint this pretty picture, but when's it really going to start happening? Yeah, and I listen, I our members are in the thick of this, right? I mean, we represent the business voice, so you know we're regularly engaging with GE and Schneider and you know all these companies, the you know STEM and others that are you know playing in these marketplaces, and you know they and even many of the solar companies, right? We we facilitated the solar part or progress partnership discussions between the joint utilities and the solar companies. And, you know, access to data was a huge issue. And, you know, I think the DSIPs are great in the sense that they're providing, you know, load forecast data, but they fall short of cost information on the system. And, you know, I know that our members really want to seek more cost information to better assess, you know, the benefit of costs of a particular, you know, service or product that they want to put on the feeder and it just doesn't exist. And, you know, I think the, the utilities claim, well, there are privacy issues and then they don't have that kind of level of data. And so things may take longer to unfold in some of these instances. But I, I you know, I certainly hear the frustration of, you know, many of our members on a number of these things. But the other thing I would say is, you know, New York is trying to do probably the most comprehensive regulatory reform of any state in the U.S. right now. And it's not simple. I mean, these you've got a variety of different technologies. It's not just about solar. It's about all the technologies we've been talking about with DER. You've got a tremendous amount of stakeholders to appease. You've got, you know, environmental groups, low-income groups, utilities, the business, uh, you know, the energy service providers, um, environmental groups. You know, it's it's a lot of stakeholders and a lot of technologies to find a win-win that's going to work for everybody. And I think the commission has tried very hard, I think, to bring the stakeholders to the table to try to work things out. But I don't think it's going to be something that's going to happen overnight, right? It's going to be an evolution. There are going to be setbacks and there are there is going to be progress. And I think we just have to be patient because I think it's not an easy thing to do to change the way business has been done over, you know, pretty much a hundred years without much change to the business model side of things. And so um, I think there are challenges and I just, you know, would encourage people to stay engaged because I think there's still a lot that needs to be done. You know, even with the recent orders, the value of DER phase one, and I don't know if you want me to get into that or not. Well, let's, yeah, I think it would be helpful to get into that. And then I actually just want to go back to regulatory 101 and talk about how these things actually get implemented. But first, let's unpack both of those. 
this is my favorite acronym by far. This this uh, value of distributed resources one Vader. Vader. Oh man. Well, yeah, we call it, we 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 call it we call it Vader at AWE, that, but I think most of the industry calls it Vader. Vader's good, but no, I'm calling sure. it Vader. I, Vader is great. I'm partial <laughs> to the California acronyms. I like DERP. That's a distributed energy resource provider. It's a Cal ISO acronym. You know, that's one of my. We can go acronym to acronym across the country. <laughs> There's certainly a lot of them. We could be here all day. <laughs> well, tell us what Vader does. You know, v- Vader is designed to find the appropriate value for these distributed resources, things like solar. It will af- apply first to large-scale systems and non-residential systems, and then eventually take over and replace net metering at some point in time. Um, what, is it, what does it do? First of all, it applies to NEM eligible technologies, and I think that's typically less than two megawatts, and it's PV, wind, microhydro, fuel cells, micro CHP, farm waste. Um, you know, I think the, the goal of this, as we all know, net metering is, you know, come under attack, I think, <laughs> in many places other than just New York, right? Um, it's simple, but it's not effective for targeting locations and doesn't necessarily accurately reflect DER value. I think that's the, the real challenge. And then I think the phase one tariff that has just been proposed on March 9th by the commission, it really begins to move us closer to accurately compensating and valuing DER and also managing non-participant impacts, right? This is another huge issue. Um, some term it you know, cross-subsidization, we try to avoid that because I think it's really managing the non-participant impacts. And I, th- I think, you know, this tariff moves closer in that direction. Um, some of the limitations is that I think this tariff focuses only really on exported energy only. And we have some issues with, with the order that we, you know, we have started articulating uh, to the commission. But, you know, if it's done right, it's going to move us in the direction I think we need to go. So how about the other big order that uh, was shorter, I think, certainly than I anticipated, but is is equally important, which is the DSIP order. Can you kind of walk through briefly what, what's in there and what's coming next? Well, the DSIP order, yeah. I mean, I think, um, so that's also a step in the right direction, right? I think it's requiring the utilities to screen for non-wires alternatives in their planning. I think the thing I really like about it is the they have to complete hosting capacity analysis by October 1st. So that's really understanding where, you know, potentially there's capacity for adding things like solar to the to the grid. Um, and then they have to have fully implement interconnection portals by October 1st as well. And then they have to deploy, I think it's uh, two energy, uh, two energy storage projects per utility. And that has to be done by the end of 2018. So you know, these are all great things. And it, I think it's supposed to really facilitate the access to system and customer data for the third party service providers. But, you know, I think some of the areas we felt it fell short, there wasn't much on electric vehicles uh, to help accelerate deployment there. And we felt the load forecast for DER is also pretty conservative. We felt they could have gone a little further. Um, yeah, the two main criticisms I've seen are that they didn't do enough with electric vehicles and that um, two storage projects by 2018 seemed really low as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, those are issues. And I, and I you know, I also hope that some of, you know, I think what a lot of our members want, as I mentioned earlier, is not just load forecast data, but they want cost information on the feeders. 
because to, in order to do a proper benefit cost analysis, you need you need to do that, right? You have to have cost information to understand how much benefit your product is providing to the grid. And that has been, you know, it's been a contentious issue, I think, on the system side. And then getting access to granular customer data, like real-time customer data, has been the other thing. And I know the utilities in the past have has pushed back a little bit on that, claiming, you know, there's privacy issues relative to customer data. And, you know, these are issues that need to be resolved. We'd like to take a moment to extend a big thank you to our sponsor, AES Energy Storage. AES Energy Storage is a world-leading provider of grid-scale battery storage projects. AES Corporation owns $36 billion in energy assets and serves electricity to over 9 million people worldwide. Ten years ago, AES set up its battery business. Since then, the cost of installing grid-scale batteries has dropped nearly 90%, thanks to more efficient installation techniques, lower-cost hardware, and better lithium-ion batteries. This same trend took hold in the computer industry, where rapidly declining data storage costs revolutionized our digital networks. Lithium-ion batteries are now bringing data networks' resiliency and responsiveness to the electricity network by enabling multiple hours of storage. The grid is changing. Fast. And AES Energy Storage is helping utilities harness the power of battery-based energy storage to make the electric power system cleaner, more flexible, and more reliable. Visit aesenergystorage.com interchange to learn more. That's aesenergystorage.com interchange. Is your sense, just sort of stepping back, that when the Rev Initiative was launched and the, the architect's thereof, Richard Kaufman and Audrey Zibelman sort of laid out the vision and in the first orders were laying out a timeline around it. Do you think they were just overly ambitious with how quickly this could all progress? And and that's what's causing some frustration here? Because like you're saying, it's incredibly complicated. It is a huge transformation. The idea of having tried to get it done within three years um, in retrospect seems kind of crazy. And yet I do think that yeah, every step along this way, there's been some sense of um, things progressing slower than expected. I this is my own personal perspective, but I I think there was a very good reason Audrey wanted to get as much done in three years. You know, tip, typically commissioner appointments are three to four years, and as we've seen, Audrey has already moved on after three. I think she really wanted to establish a strong foundation so that if she were to move on, things would continue. And I, I, this is my own personal opinion that she was pushing very hard to get as much done as she could before, you know, she would have to leave. And I think she's done an excellent job at that because, you know, this is not easy. I think, yes, there were people who would have liked it to maybe move slower, but I have also heard from others that they wished it could move faster. And I, th I think, you know, frankly, where we, we are, where we probably need to be, is everything where we want it to be? No. Um, but I certainly think there's a process in place for making sure we can get to a better place. At least I'm hoping that. But I mean, Audrey didn't actually have to leave, right? She She's decided to leave. She's uh, the, Audrey Zibelman's the chair of the Public Service Commission or the DPS in New York, and she's announced that she's leaving to go uh, run the Australian wholesale market operator. Which is going um, to be a hard challenge in and of yeah, itself. Right, which has its own set of issues. But I mean, I guess the, the question I'm asking is, uh, do you think she intended this whole time to say, I'm going to get as much done in three years as possible and and then, you know, go move down under? Or 
uh, was there something else going on that, that led her to say, okay, you know, this is a, this train has enough momentum without me. It's, it's okay for me to go. I, I think it's probably more the latter than the former, but, um, you know, who knows what really, I think she probably just wanted a change too. doing what she's done in three years takes a lot out of anybody. Right. I mean, it's, it was, I mean, all of us who have been in it know it has been, you know, a whirlwind and challenging, taking up a lot of our resources, not just at advanced energy economy, but our member time and the time they've committed to this. And, you know, there are other markets people have to focus on. And so, um, I think a lot has been accomplished. I think she probably felt it was in a strong enough place that somebody who takes her place, whoever that may be, uh, will continue to make it move forward. Um, and I think it really has, I mean, if I look back, even in the discussions we're having in other states right now, I mean, I, I have seen a huge change in the way people are thinking about 21st century electricity system, grid modernization, performance-based regulation. You know, we weren't having these same kind of discussions three years ago. And I really think Audrey has really changed the mindset of utilities and making them realize there could be an opportunity here for a win-win, not just for the utilities, but for third-party providers and potentially for customers as well. And I think just even changing that mindset has had a big impact, in my opinion. And I think that's that's part of the value. I mean, if you want, we could talk about some of the other states. Let's do that. But first, I want to get get a better sense of where we're at and, and what all the pieces are swirling around Rev. I think it's just helpful to understand how a proposal becomes an order and then gets implemented and where the different stages are for many of these uh, these orders. And as we move from phase one to phase two, it's it's all just like a bunch of regulatory jargon that if you're not in it every day seems very confusing. And um, can you just take all these pieces and put them together and help us understand how, how they all kind of fit together? Well, I think the demo, maybe we should talk a little bit then about the demos, because I think, you know, the demonstration programs are, be, are, are hopefully a way of beginning to take some of these pieces and test them, right? And if they work, and I think, I think the demos are really about, you know, bringing third parties together and working with utilities, focusing on the customer and beginning to test the business models, not just the technologies, but testing the business models. You know, everybody's heard about BQDM, which is the Brooklyn Queens Demand Management, another Ackerman program, um, which deferred, you know, 1.2 billion of the distribution system improvements for about five years and instead authorized Con Ed to spend 200 million to procure, you know, mostly customer-sided solutions like DER. And which in return- interestingly was proposed before Rev though, right? Yes. Well, it's it's part of Rev, right? It was part of it's Rev Rev is not just the the auto Rev at least at the governor's office, they have it as being sort of a broad umbrella for many of the things that's going on in New York. But yeah, so there's a whole other group of demonstration programs. But I think the the Brooklyn Queens came into place in 2014, which was sort of when Rev was unfolding. But I think it did depict um, some of the elements that they're trying to achieve in Rev, which is here they're incenting with 100 basis points uh, Con Ed to do more of these non-wires solutions um, like DER, and in return, so if they met their targets, they would earn additional incentives. If they met megawatts deployed, cost effectiveness, and third-party participation metrics, 
So again, moving toward performance incentives and rewarding that versus just cost of service. And if you look at some of the other demonstrations that they're now doing formally as part of the rev order, you know, I think there's about 17 projects that are listed on the website. And again, they're business model focused. Um, it's looking at, you know, the DSP functionality, the distributed system platform functionality. It's looking at uh, customer responses to programs and prices. It's looking at cost-effective implementation of Rev. So those are the kinds of things they're testing. You yeah, know, and, they they kind of range from online platforms for customers and to like actual aggregated behind the meter systems, right? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a couple examples. I mean that the, the online customer engagement marketplace, for example, that's an Orange and Rockland proposed demo. It's basically an engagement platform that they're developing with Simple Energy. Um, they have the My ORU store or the My ORU advisor, which I think they launched to 80,000 customers. And that's leveraging customer data and analytics to help customers basically find products and services like, you know, Wi-Fi thermostats or LED lights. And in return, the customer will get a personalized home energy report. You know, in comparison, Con Ed is doing um, this clean virtual power plant uh, with SunPower and SunVerge and where they're bundling solar with storage and then they're testing you know, fleets of the um, solar and storage systems in hundreds of residential homes to see how they can collectively provide benefits to the grid and resiliency to customers, you know, making sure the lights are on when there's an outage, for example. And they're, you know, in the middle now of currently just testing some of the software and the server for the SCADA connection. And then there's like a national grid, you know, which has the uh, Buffalo and Niagara Medical Campus. And there they're testing um, basically, they're testing the intelligent network or what we're calling, you know, the distributed system platform functionality with participating DER throughout the campus. And they're doing that with Opus One solutions. And I think here it's about, you know, again, providing one platform that'll allow customer owned DER to participate in energy and ancillary services for the grid and using some, you know, locational pricing. And so this is all about the financial model, which they're working on. And it's really looking at the locational value of generation on the distribution system. As we move on to talking about other states, I just want to ask about California before we, we talk about other less obvious states. I've, I've had this sense that, so if you look at what's going on in New York, almost every one of the individual components of REV is also underway in California, you have a similar value of DER type of thing going on. You have some demonstration projects. You have the integrated capacity analysis maps that the utilities are being forced to develop. You have sort of the business model questions being addressed less head on, but there was um, there was a, a order, or I guess it wasn't an order. There was a proposal from Commissioner Florio before he stepped down about that. But it feels to me like it, it, from a broad national standpoint, you know, California is sort of doing this bottom up. It's just sort of order by order where Rev went top down. It said, here's our vision and now let's let's create all the component parts within it. So do you feel like that's the right way to frame the differences between the two? And and do you think that either one of those two mechanisms has been more effective so far? Well they're they're also the drivers are very different in each state, right? I mean I think California has so much more solar on the grid that they had to deal with. Um, I think it was Hurricane Sandy 
probably that was one of the main drivers in New York, you know, reliability and resiliency. So I, you know, is there one way that's better? I think both have definitely come at it at a very different angle. I think you're absolutely right. There's been less focus on sort of more of a comprehensive look in California. Although I think, you know, we're still waiting. The, the CPU staff report on GridMod is supposed to come out any day now. It may have come out yesterday. I don't even, I haven't even looked, but uh, um, they, they held this workshop on GridMod. And I think part of it is exploring options for integrating GridMod issues with the DRP proceeding and the general rate cases. So I think they're, they're trying to move a little bit more toward integrating some of these things um, relative to rates and tariffs and distribution grid infrastructure. But it is a different approach. Um, at this point, I think it's too early to tell, you know, which one is a more effective approach to take. Right. So let's talk about other states that are less obvious than New York and California. I think that there was a perception, perhaps, uh, a wrong one that what might end up happening was, you know, Rev would be out in front. And a few years after it began, we'd start to see the success of the initiative and that it was possible. And that then you'd be able to find some progressive regulators in other states to, to introduce a Rev equivalent. And that hasn't really happened, at least not in that format. And yet there's a lot of the component parts of Rev going on in, in various states. So what, where are you guys seeing action that you deem exciting and transformative? And what else would you like to see? You're right. And if I, when I categorize where people are relative to the 21st century electricity system, I put sort of New York at the far right. Hawaii at one point was thinking about complete business model reform. But the only other state that I have some potential maybe to put in that same bucket moving forward and it's a tiny state, though, so you know maybe people won't give it as much credence. But you know, Rhode Island um, is actually in a place where you know they've got a strong commission. Uh, the governor's office, I think, is committed to it, um, and they've told me that they're wanting to take what they've learned in Rev and sort of begin implementing it and executing it quickly. Um, you know, I, I have some promise for Rhode Island. Uh, that's sort of a, a new state um, that might be able to implement some of these things. Ohio is also another state that hasn't gotten a lot of PR, but it's probably a state to watch in 2017. They have something called Power Forward, um, where they're, they've got a three-phase approach uh, to grid modernization projects, um, again, looking at sort of rate design and business model reform. So, you know, I think, I think you're right that most of the other states, um, and I'll list a few that I think are doing more like incremental grid modernization. The only other one that maybe is going to be taking a more holistic view is probably Rhode Island and Hawaii. They've talked about it as well. But um, And we talked about California. Massachusetts clearly has their grid mod plans. You know, Eversource had a rate case that was filed in January that where they requested a five-year, 400 million grid mod plan. And then they have a, P, a performance-based regulation mechanism that they're working on as well. Um, Minnesota has the E21 process, um, and then the commission as well has two um, proceedings out, one on grid mod reform and one on alternative rate making. I think there, um, there are potential for alternative rate design pilots. They're, they're planning to do two or three pilots in Minnesota, so that's it's moving incrementally. Um, nothing like 
New York and nothing like the pace of New York. New Hampshire has a working group on GridMod. Uh, Maryland has the PSC prioritized six GridMod topics for an 18-month working group. DC um, comments are due on their um, GridMod report uh, by April of this year. And Illinois, they have something called Next Grid, um, which is an ICC or um, Illinois Corporation Commission resolution uh, for a utility of the future study. And this is going to be sort of a very much a collaborative stakeholder process, you know, over 18 months where they're going to be bringing in a lot of folks to talk about basically a collaborative effort talking about a lot of these different issues. And they're hoping to have something done by the end of 2018. Uh, there are other states, obviously, too, that have been kind of looking at things. I kind of put, you know, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont, you know, through Green Mountain Power, Missouri, uh, as other states that are, maybe there's an emerging opportunity there, but uh, th th those are the states I just listed off are sort of the states I see as doing incremental grid modernization, you know, activities, and then New York, I kind of put in this kind of unique bucket of complete comprehensive business model reform, and maybe Hawaii or Rhode Island in urgent early stages of that. If you're a distributed energy company, if you're a solar installer or an analytics provider, um, a, a, a demand response provider, do you want to see comprehensive reform or does it disrupt your sales process? It seems to me that there's a case to be made that these companies also want incremental change because it creates a, if you have all these orders in place at once and you're kind of creating all these changes that makes it difficult to communicate to customers, um, it, it seems like that would really be disruptive ultimately in the short term to the sales process. Do you see any of that in New York, for example? Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I'll bring up the, recent Vader, right? The, 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 the rate uh, issues around um, the, the, the phase one Vader order or the rate, ta the tariff. Um, you know, one of our issues was that there was no value for RECs for energy generated or consumed behind the meter. Um, and I think this is particularly a case for fuel cells, right? I mean, because other programs were available to them before they were phased out. And the, the value of DER proceeding was supposed to make up for that, and it didn't, right? And so here's a situation, I think, you know, where there was a potential market, you know, for fuel cells in New York, and I think this order fell short of dealing with it. And now this industry and this technology has a gap. And I think you're right. It does, it does happen. I think we saw it. There were huge concerns by the energy efficiency community as well in New York because you know, there were all these targets or mandates for energy efficiency targets, and they were trying to move away from those and replace that with REV. And, you know, I think that is a huge concern. It has to be dealt with correctly. I think people have voiced their concerns to the commission. Um, and that is, a, that is a risk. If it's not, if the transition is not done well, you know, people that are used to a certain market um, and if all of a sudden that market is taken away from them without properly putting something else in place to supplement that, you can have a huge impact on the market disruption. 
Right. And and you talked about efficiency. So that's actually an example of creating this entirely new world that efficiency hasn't had to operate in. And when you say applying rev to efficiency, what you're saying is making efficiency a real-time resource and taking the demand response that we know today and applying it to a much broader customer class and making it something that utilities have to rely on as a grid resource. And metered energy efficiency is something completely new to the industry. And I know that a lot of the old guard in the efficiency industry have been concerned about this. A lot of the more progressive folks in the efficiency community have been pushing this for some time. And the utilities are caught in the middle saying, yeah, this is a great idea, but can we really rely on it on a broad scale as a resource? So that's an example of disruption because you're applying an entirely new model to an industry, to an efficiency industry that is um, either loathe to change or a little bit nervous about changing. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. And I mean, and this was, it was a huge issue for us because we have a lot of energy efficiency members as well. And, you know, we heard loud and clearly from the commission, they want to move toward market-based solutions and not focus on mandates. And so, you know, we had to work with that. And, you know, we've certainly filed comments. I and mean, one of the things advanced energy economy does is we not... We don't focus just on convening, right? We then file comments on behalf of our members. And so uh, you could be, if you want to see the comments, we actually filed the comments. They're all on our website. But we actually addressed this issue because it, it was a big issue for us and our members. There's one final piece that we need to understand. And you mentioned the data access issue. But to me, it seems like one of the most crucial pieces of um, of the REV effort and really any sort of reform effort in, in the states, because the goals of REV necessarily depend on getting the right information out to the marketplace to animate this distributed energy market, to get utilities and distributed energy providers working on the same platform for the benefit of the grid and the benefit of customers. And so you need to have appropriate data access that has been traditionally controlled by the utilities. Of course, the utilities are really hesitant about releasing much of their customer data and, um, you know, grid performance data. And that has been a huge sticking point in REV and a problem in other states like California and Hawaii. So how are you grappling with data sharing? What is the main issue in New York? And is it similar in some of the other states you're operating in? Yeah, so this issue has been a critical issue that we've come across in almost any of the states that we have been operating. You know, our our members, in order to provide more innovative products and services, need more information about the system data and the customer data to provide, you know, better products and services. So we have been talking with the utilities, with our members, when we were negotiating the Solar Progress Partnership between the solar companies and the joint utilities in New York, this was probably one of the most contentious issues. You know, I think they kept pushing, the solar companies kept wanting more cost-level data on the feeder, and the utilities, you know, I claim that a lot of that data just doesn't exist, and a, a lot of it's in very different software systems, and to try to aggregate it would be challenging. Um, you know, so I think the the issue becomes, is that data available? If it is not available, what is it going to take to make it available? And how critical is the data for the third-party entities to, to, to get the innovation 
on the products and services that they need. I think a lot of it gets down to also, um, you know, helping them understand are the benefits truly there that some of these innovative technologies are claiming are there, you know, to, to understand the, the benefits that it does provide to the grid. You need to understand, you know, what are the basic costs, what are the uh, performance parameters, and then from there you can estimate the benefits. But without that, it's hard to do. And so we have been filing comments in New York on behalf of our members to try to get more access to that data. We have actually taken our comments and pulled those into a white paper that our members can take to other states. So when they're, you know, actually in other proceedings, they can bring the same joint arguments together. So what we tend to do is we, we talk every week with our members and get a, a variety of these companies together, like GE and Johnson Controls and Schneider Electric and others and Enernoc, you know, all talking about some of this and what they need and Oracle and, you know, just have them decide what are the key issues and pull that together and then hopefully leverage that in other states. Um, but I do think this is a, an issue, you know, I, the, the, I think sometimes too the utilities may see <clears throat> that having that customer data can be something in the future that maybe they can earn revenue on. You know, the question also is, do they provide that information for free? <clears throat> do they charge for it? You know, because I think the utilities are struggling to find ways of getting value-added services and additional revenue in to make up for the gap of what some of this new business model is doing. And to me, that that potentially is an area that needs to be further explored because, you know, there, there is a real question out there. Do these non-wire alternative solutions provide the additional revenue in multiple locations other than just BQDM that, you know, can meet, fill some of the gap that's out there? And I think that's an unknown question. You know, the answer to that question is unknown. We're three years on. When do you think an appropriate time to do another progress report would be? To take a step back and say, okay, what have we accomplished? Because like I said in my introduction, given the pace of technological change, three years is a very uh, long period of time. Given the pace of regulatory change and what New York is in particular trying to do, three years is a short period of time. So is it going to be another three years before we can take a step back and say, oh, wow, they've really implemented some some pretty wide-ranging reforms and they have or have not worked? Well, you know, I think we're at the stage right now in REV where, you know, we're beyond the framing, we're beyond the vision. You know, I think everybody was getting a little frustrated at the beginning because we we're, you know, not getting into the details. I think we're at the stage now where we're getting into the details, right, about the rate design structures, the earning mechanisms, the DSIPs, which is about, you know, the data and, you know, how do you get that information and what level of data do you provide? I'm hoping, you know, it's not going to be another three years because I think you're right. I think I'm, we're already seeing some of our members' patients getting thin because, you know, there's other states that they need to work in. Resources are tight. You know, how much time and energy can you put into New York? Um, but I think the commitment is there because we've already spent so much time and energy on it. And I, I think we're at the stage where now hopefully we can move quicker because this is where the key pieces will really begin to make changes and we can start to implement some of this stuff in the pilots. I do have some concerns and, and you know, fears that this is also the hardest part, you know, trying to get alignment on rate design issues and 
you know, uh, beginning to look at some of these implementation issues, that's where it becomes harder, not easier. And so I, I do worry that, you know, we have a challenge ahead of us. You know, I'm hopeful that they'll continue to keep the pace moving forward. I think Richard Kaufman and others in the Cuomo administration are very aware that, you know, we need to keep this ball moving quickly. Uh, our members are articulating that, and I'm just hopeful that we will move faster than three years to see some you know, early successes as a result of the REV proceeding. Lisa, this was really helpful. Um, boy, there are a lot of moving pieces here. And we will um, we'll, we'll con- get continued updates here as some of these orders progress and we get into new phases. Lisa Francis is a senior vice president at Advanced Energy Economy. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you both very much. With Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey, and this is The Interchange, conversations about the evolution of energy from Green Tech Media. We'll catch you next time.